Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor. I'm Kara Smith. Today we're having this interview in honor of Pain Awareness Month, and I'm joined by Dr. Nita Khan, who is one of our fellows for our members, and Dr. Joseph Kalis, who is one of our editorial board members. Thank you both so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, you're very welcome. Excited to be here. Would you both like to introduce yourselves and share a little bit about what your work focuses on? Sure. Uh, I can take it away. Um, So I am currently a medical oncology and palliative care fellow at The Ohio State University, uh, currently in just wrapping up my second month now. And I'm Joe Kalis. I'm officially an ambulatory oncology pharmacy specialist with UC Health in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm practicing primarily in oncology and supportive care now, but my background has ranged from palliative care and hospice, as well as in clinical oncology pharmacy. Awesome. Excited to talk with both of you today to, uh, you know, raise a little bit of awareness uh, in honor of Pain Awareness Month. So to start off for some background, what are the different types of pain trajectories and syndromes? Yeah, sure. Um, it's, there's a lot of different pain trajectories and syndromes. And I think the kind of the main ones you're looking for when you're evaluating pain is whether it's chronic pain or acute pain. Um, the chronic pain realm tends to be managed differently um, and separately than if it was an acute pain. Um, and when it comes to cancer, that's another story. So with a lot of patients who have cancer, they have a lot of uh, cancer-related pain, especially if they have bony metastatic disease. And that is managed with different agents, uh, more long-term, longer-acting agents. And then if you have uh, attached acute pain into the mix, you're usually kind of managing them with shorter-acting agents. And so the main things we're looking at are kind of chronic pain syndromes and acute pain syndromes. And then the trajectory really depends on what's going on. So if you have a chronic pain patient who, uh, let's say, has bony metastatic disease to the spine and they're undergoing a laminectomy, they're going to have underlying chronic bony pain and then they're going to have acute post-op pain. And those are going to be managed separately. And so you really need to kind of look at pain trajectories where you foresee that pain going in the future. And then that's how you can kind of act and start to manage it. I think that's a great breakdown, especially Mm -hmm. practicing as a pharmacist and using different medications or recommending them. Great distinction to make. Mm -hmm. You know, I think for patients I see in counsel, sometimes I'll be asking questions of, you know, describe the pain or what does it feel like thinking, okay, is it somatic pain? Maybe it's musculoskeletal, but then also perhaps neuropathic. And, and something that I've gotten more, I'll say, attuned to over my years of practice has been you know, the concept almost of, of emotional or psychologic pain. I've had several patients where, you know, the pain from past traumas has manifested more of a physical manner and we couldn't really adequately control their pain until we addressed that emotional or psychologic cause. So it's mm-hmm. quite fascinating and very interesting learning opportunity for me. Yeah, Joe, you bring up a fantastic point. A lot of uh, patients are complex and they have a lot of different types of pain. And so things like emotional pain, um, as I said, chronic pain, acute pain, neuropathic pain, and some people have total pain. Um, And 
when you're looking at how you can manage it best, sometimes we try to attack different receptors, different pathways with the different types of uh, medications we have in our tool belt. And a lot of times we kind of uh, look for medications who have like a that have like a multimodal pain control. And so a lot of that has to do with where you think this pain is coming from and where it's contributing. Thank you. That was a really helpful breakdown of all the different trajectories. So you mentioned the differences between cancer-related pain management uh, versus other types of pain management. What do some of these differences include uh, for patients with cancer specifically? Uh, sure, I can take it away. Um, so when you have cancer-related pain, it's a lot of it has to do with what you think is causing the pain. And for most patients, it's metastatic pain. It's uh, bony pain. It can be nociceptive pain and neuropathic pain. Um, Non-cancer related pain is usually, if you're thinking more acute, um, it can be nociceptive pain. It can be pain, um, let's say from like an acute fracture. It can be neuropathic pain, people with radiculopathies and whatnot. Um, and so in some ways, the management is similar, but in some ways, it's very different. With cancer-related pain, you're seeing a lot of these patients on long-term agents for, 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 for uh, managing their pain. And then a lot of them have shorter-acting kind of PRN as-needed pain medications on board to help with any spikes in pain they may be having. Um, and more specifically, if you have a patient who is a cancer patient, and you foresee their pain trajectory getting worse, meaning they have bony metastatic pain to let's say the pelvis or the sacrum, and you foresee that these osseous mets are probably going to get worse, or they're going to get osseous mets in the spine, um, or maybe other, some nociceptive pain on top of that, you're thinking about how you can change um, some of their chronic pain medications. Maybe if they're on like a long acting uh, morphine, can I have them on a higher dose? I foresee them being on a higher dose in the future. And that's when pain trajectories are really important and what you foresee happening coming in. Yeah, I think <clears throat> just again, my past practice experiences, cancer pain takes on a whole different nature, whether it's, you know, maybe a curative cancer versus um, a metastatic cancer. And then how we're even approaching that, what medications are often thought of I think opioids are certainly a mainstay, morphine, oxycodone, and others. I've used a fair bit of, like you said, multimodal agents such as methadone to look really attack at some of the neuropathic components, but also perhaps reversing patients' prior opioid tolerance. But even still, there's, I think, a large need and a large component, especially with a lot of the concerns about the opioid epidemic and crisis now. I've had multiple patients express concern about like, I have cancer pain, this is real, it's a pancreatic tumor, but I'm still struggling to use pain medications in what I think you and I would consider an appropriate manner. Folks that are worried about, gosh, I don't want to get hooked on this. It's like, well, I understand that concern. However, you've got a serious tumor, the pain's incapacitating you. Let's take a look at it from that angle. So it opens up a whole different can of worms. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, so I'm looking forward to hearing how you both approach pain management from your different uh, specialties. Um, so Dr. Khan, as a medical oncology palliative care fellow, how do you go about approaching pain management for your patients from this standpoint? 
Yeah, great question. Um, a lot of that has to do with what I think the underlying ideology is and what their primary diagnosis is. Um, a lot of what I'm seeing day to day are patients who have cancer-related pain and symptoms associated with that, right? And as I mentioned before, a lot of that has to do with the pain trajectory that you see them on. Um, here at, at my institution, um, we uh, really like the multimodal pain control aspect. Um, a lot of a lot of the cancer patients I'm seeing have nociceptive pain and they have neuropathic pain. And so things like uh, buprenorphine products, um, methadone, um, things like that are, are are things that we have in our tool belt and that we actually use pretty often here. Um, and to, to, to Joe's point, um, a lot of education is going on too. Um, a lot of patients are coming in and, and they bring up, I don't want to get addicted to this. There's a lot of um, talk in the, in the, you know, in the community, in the news about, about opioids and about pain medications. And I think what we're really trying to champion and really trying to educate about is that if we're using them the right way and they're dosed appropriately, which we are dosing them appropriately for you, then it's good for you. And it's going to help with your pain. And it's, it's only going to help you better in whatever treatment, cancer treatment that you're undergoing and help you get through it because these are real symptoms you're having. And so we do a lot of education. We do a lot of looking at um, what we think their pain trajectory is going to be. And then also we work um, medical oncology and palliative combined, right? So very closely with the oncology team, um, a lot of these patients can be candidates for things like steroids, anti-inflammatories, right? So the steroids can come in really handy for pain control and they act quickly too sometimes. So we speak with oncologists, is this something that we can add in their treatment plan? Um, it can also help with the inflammation they've been feeling. If you have a patient who has bony metastatic disease, we get uh, ask them, is radiation oncology going to be involved? Or is this patient a candidate for palliative radiation? That's also another tool for pain control. So all these different things, it's very multidisciplinary and kind of looking at which ways can we kind of attack this pain from. Bring up a great, <clears throat> great point with dexamethasone. I, I mm -hmm. describe it to some of my incoming students and residents as oncology mm -hmm. and palliative care duct tape. It can help mm -hmm. with inflammation. It can help with bony pain, mm -hmm. nausea, appetite. There's many, many uses for dexamethasone. So certainly one of the more common things I'll recommend. Mm -hmm. and, and really, I think from my perspective in training, I'm, I'm the quote unquote drug guy in the office. So a lot of things you recommend are often a medication. Mm -hmm. But like you'd said, there's still that stigma around opioids. Even if they are being dosed and used appropriately, patients might be afraid to use them. So I've made recommendations in the past for we'll say lighter opioids, such as tramadol may or may not work for every patient, but it's worth a try. And, and as part of my ongoing learning, there's been a lot of even non-pharmacologic methods, whether that's you know, guided imagery. I had one patient respond really well to that, or some patients have asked questions about well, aromatherapy or acupuncture. And I think the theme is really folks are looking for that relief and the way that we get there may differ from patient to patient, but the ultimate goal is still going to be the same. So Dr. Kayla, same question of, of you. How do you go about approaching pain, pain management as a pharmacist? Fantastic question. So I'm coming in usually a little bit later into the, the treatment paradigm than perhaps Dr. Khan does. 
you know, typically when I get consulted or asked to help with a patient, they are established on a regimen already. We may be looking to make tweaks or changes to that. So perhaps changing from one opioid, say morphine to another, perhaps oxycodone or hydromorphone. I mean, other times I'll get involved is when say a patient's on a multimodal pain control regimen. So say we're doing something for neuropathic pain like gabapentin, and perhaps they develop an intolerance or a patient comes in with drug interactions, we need to find another agent. So I'll often make a lot of interventions and recommendations there. I think another area as well is in that education piece. It's like a big part of the role I'm in now is really speaking directly with patients about their medications. I mean, some of the basics of, okay, here's what the medicine is. Here's how it's recommended to take. Here's what to expect from it. But it, the relationships I'm able to develop with patients, seeing them over and over, I think are crucial to developing some of that rapport and trust to really find out, you know, well, maybe Mr. Smith said he's taking the oxycodone every four hours, but as a patient becomes more comfortable with you as a provider, you may learn, well, he's repeating that off of the label because it said it's what he was supposed to be doing, but maybe he's afraid to take it. Or maybe he ran out a week early because he's taking it every two to three hours because his pain is that bad. And it really gives an opportunity to delve into, well, why is that? What's happening? What are some other strategies or other medications we can use? Awesome. Thanks. Um, so in light of Pain Awareness Month, what are what would you both like to share about pain management in hopes of raising more awareness of it? Yeah, um, I think it's important when you're when you're talking about pain is what do you think the ideology of it is? And that a lot of times there's a lot of factors playing into it. Um, as we kind of mentioned throughout this so far, um, you can have a lot of emotional pain a lot of total pain um, and pain that's acting at different receptors um, or that you can target different receptors with the, with the kind of medications you have. And so it's important to think about the ideology of the pain when you're thinking about how to manage it best and to look at the patient holistic, holistically and kind of where you see uh, their pain trajectory going forward. Yeah. And I think assessing the patient as a whole, you know, person, body, mind, soul, however you wish to approach it is, is super important because you can think we've all had those cases where, you know, the patient comes in and they're talking as we are now, and they may say they have 10 out of 10 pain. I'm like, all right. You know, I learned pain is what the patient says it is. So I need to know to take that seriously to find out, all right, maybe this has just been so chronic. This is their baseline and they've learned to cover it up. So it may not always be that, you know, I'd say, okay, somebody comes in with a broken leg from a, a car accident. That's kind of obvious to associate. It makes sense to us as clinicians, but I'd say taking it seriously and trying to understand, as you said, the etiology, and then use that etiology as a lighthouse to decide, all right, what's the best way to treat it? Great. Um, anything else either of you would like to mention? I think really listen to your patients, take the time to listen to them um, and kind of act off of what they're telling you. Um, and as I said before, really where you think that their pain's going to be headed, and that can really be a great clue when it comes to managing them. And I didn't know we've got many, many tools at our disposal. You know, the stigma around opioids is real. They're but one option. Mm -hmm. Anti-inflammatories or steroids, or I mean, you can get pretty esoteric and they've used ketamine, both IV and yeah. oral 
for patients. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that comes to mind for many folks, but in the right person definitely can make a big difference. So I'd, I'd encourage folks keep an open mind. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Dr. Callis brings up a great point. Um, there's a lot of pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic tools. There's a lot of interventions too. Um, so there's pain blocks for patients who have really chronic pain. You can institute, um, you know, our interventional radiology team or our pain team to kind of help with that. You also have, right, ketamine. You have lidocaine drips that we use sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of different things in our tool belt that we can use and to kind of think about all these different options. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. again, it doesn't necessarily have to be always mm-hmm. a transdermal patches, mm-hmm. whether it's fentanyl or lidocaine. Mm-hmm. If we've got patients that are able to swallow a pill or tablet, or there's physical reasons they can't, maybe psychologic reasons they can't, we still have ways that they're their pain can be relieved and we can still help them find the quality of life that they're looking for. Great. Well, this has been such an informative conversation and I'm really glad that we were able to share these messages to, you know, raise more awareness this month. So thank you both so much again for, for joining in on this conversation today. Thank you. Yep. Thanks. Glad to have been here. <laughs>